0: Welcome to Talking Social Studies. You are listening to episode 12, When Current Events Get Sticky.
1: This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women, for the lives of women have been more affected by its new horizons than those of any other group.
0: This is the podcast where we talk about social studies and education today. Here you will find conversations about strategies, resources, ideas, and more, all designed to help today's social studies teacher impact their students. Hello, I'm Chris Hitchcock, and I teach world history for a private online high school affiliated with Indiana University. You can find me on Twitter at chitch94. You can also find our Talking Social Studies website at bit.ly backslash talking SS.
2: Hi everyone. I'm Amy Presley. I'm a history teacher at Broken Arrow High School, just outside Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can follow the Talk and Social Studies podcast on Twitter at t a l k i n s s, and you can follow me at s t l in o k.
3: All right, everybody. And I'm Scott Padway. I'm an instructional coach in Pleasanton, California. Former social studies teacher, and you can find me on Twitter at Scott Padway. And normally I'd be introducing our fourth member, Ryan O'Donnell, but uh, you know, it's really hard to coordinate across three time zones, (laughs) and uh, so we're just going to roll without Ryan today, but everyone should message him and let him know he was missed, and you can find him at Creative EdTech. So today's topic is all about dealing with the stickier side of using current events in the classroom and how to use them, how to handle them, some strategies on how to still Use them, and uh, what happens when your conversation really starts going south, and it's not all rainbows and puppy dogs? <laughs> Does that happen? <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those yeah, things. It, it makes you afraid to actually have some of those conversations, right? Because oh, absolutely. I think,
2: As a brand new teacher, like how many years did I have? I mean, it was like it was very scripted if we did it at all.
3: <laughs> oh man, my first year teaching, I w- hated talking about uh, the reformation and anything like that had to do with religion. I was just like super afraid that all of a sudden, you know, I was going to get some letter from somebody or upset somebody else. And it's, it's a really tough, uh, tough balance. And even for veteran teachers too, you know, we, we just get so caught up sometimes in, in, um, you know, the fear of what going down the wrong path can bring today, but it really loses out on, on an important opportunity. Uh, for our students, but should we dive into segment one? How do we use current events in our classroom? Let's That's do it. it. All right. Well, I guess I'll kick it off because I'm on the top of the list. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I think current events serve really some of the most important elements in a social studies classroom. And I've always thought that we should really teach history backwards. You know, why do we? So many classes you teach chronologically. Uh, I mean, there are there are a few that, like seventh grade world, everyone teaches in a different order. But you know, when you get into a U.S. history classroom or modern world history, a lot of things are happening. Well, let's start with the revolution and we'll move in and, you know, kind of sequentially. But why don't we start with what's happening today? You know, let's look at all the conflicts with North Korea and let's take it back to where these conflicts came from in the Korean War. I mean, you can go back so far looking at that, you know, talking about communism and then you get into Cuba and you can you can get into so many different avenues just starting with something that's already on people's minds and really tapping into students' interests. I mean, look at Myanmar and what's going on out there today. And, you know, we talk about the Holocaust a lot. But, you know, here is, is you know, basically a genocide that's occurring as we speak. Uh, and people just don't really know about it. Um, I think that, it, though, working with current events in your class, something you have to scaffold, right? You can't just start with, with you know, dropping a giant bomb on your class on day one. Um, I mean, it sounds like a teach like the pirate kind of thing, right? You know, we're going to shock and awe but you really have to establish that safe space for for your students. And so one thing I like to do is I like to use what we call multimedia text set, just a document with, with links. And sometimes we can make them, uh, you know, incredibly visual. Um, but just curating those resources, instead of letting your students out into the world of the unknown, you know, here are three articles or a few video clips or giving them some choice in, in their path. Like we want personalized learning. And so let's let them explore what they want, but, you know, all those resources curate, curated kind of by the teacher. And if you've ever thought, oh, I want to show them this. I want to show them this. I've got all these articles, and I don't know how how to, to bring them in. This is a great opportunity to do that. Um, give them all to the kids and let the kids decide what they want. And and what that will do is richen your conversations. Because if we all read the same article, you know, don't be surprised when we only have three questions and nobody wants to talk because, you know, Chris and Amy have already answered the question that Ryan and I had. Uh, but if we read different things and we look at different sources – Maybe that conversation goes deeper and maybe you know I can answer a question that you guys come up with and, and, and something that I wonder has been answered in the article or the, the, the video clip that you've looked at.
0: Yeah, and that's so important because what we're accessing, you know I, I, mean, I think that many adults use more than one source to get their information. So you have to take in these sometimes conflicting, potentially contradictory takes on what's actually happening in the world. So I, I think that value, uh, there's so much value in what you're saying with giving the students a variety of sources, maybe even letting them choose which ones they in particular look at and then bringing those all to the discussion um, so they get that variety of perspectives and they kind of have to wrestle with that because you know that's real life, that's messy, that's dealing with you know people trying to get information as events are actually happening. Well, there's so
2: much research right now about, like, you know, now most people are getting their news through these digital platforms, and the algorithms are there to where, you know, they, once they, you know, it, it's all your clicks get recorded and you start getting fed more and more like information. So you don't get that contradictory stuff unless, you know, we're in the classroom and we're like, hey, you have to face the fact that there is another side to this.
3: And that's why teaching those skills is so important. I mean that's why you know working with different media in in a class and kind of that controlled environment when the kids go off in into their own social media feeds and, and the places that they're getting their outside information, um, it gives them that critical lens and to look at it and it's important to know what what your biases are because you know I heard a great quote the other day but somebody uh, had called into a, a news publication and said are you you know I think I think you guys are biased and he just said well are you liberal or conservative and whatever the choice was, you know, you're going to think the opposite. You're going to think that if you're, if you tend to be liberal, you're going to think you'll find a lot more conservative media. Um, and I think the vice versa.
0: Yeah. I think was it the wall street journal that did, uh, last fall put out the blue feed, red feed um, mm-hmm. that showed basically what kinds of stories you would be getting on your social media, like especially a Facebook, I guess, type of thing. If you, generally followed more conservative media versus uh, more what would be considered liberal media. And it was really interesting to take a look at, you know, how they differed. Um, And I think looking at something like that with students is really valuable to let, you know, so they get a sense of, oh, wow, you know, if I, like what Amy was saying, if you look at one particular thing from a particular leading source, then you're going to get kind of, funneled in, you're going to get more and more of stuff from that perspective funneled to your feed and you forget, you know, or you're just not even aware that there's other perspectives out there. So I think, you know, showing some students something that specific and then bringing in many different views on a particular issue is so valuable to students. So they're, you know, they know that there are different views out there. Hopefully then they will pursue those on their own time as well.
2: Well, and even just seeing like, there was, and I wish I could remember who it was, it was a pretty big news outlet, released last year or the year before about how when they send out the information, what gets sent to different areas of the country looks different. It's the same news story, but, you know, what, how the headline reads and what images and the placement, of I mean, like. I, I was kind of shocked by that because I thought, I thought we all got the same news article. But you don't, even though it's the same source. So I was, oh, whoa, whoa. And I felt really kind of dumb because I'm a social day teacher. I should have realized that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was just talking about that with Time Magazine. I was looking at uh, some old covers of Time Magazine and comparing today what we got in the U.S. versus what you know they got in Europe and Asia uh, on the same publication. <laughs> but it is amazing. But so <laughs> – Well, yeah. And
2: we want you to. We we totally went down a rabbit hole, but that was a (laughs) cool one.
1: Um,
2: Okay, so, well, back to um, Scott's comment about the multimedia tech set. There is, um, if you teach world history and you're on Twitter and you're not following Ben Freeman, whose hashtag is at Freemanpedia, he is amazing with so many, like, very visual, she does these time grids that it would be amazing multimedia tech sets. And I keep thinking, I'm like, I need to start doing more of what Scott's doing with what I already have and just converting it. Um, right. It doesn't
3: take a lot of work. There's just a few little things and we'll talk about it. Amy, let me know. Um, oh, you know There's so much. Have I want to buy stocks with links. Right? We have a lot of this stuff and it's just repackaging it to some extent in a way that's a little bit more accessible for everybody.
2: Well, I'll be honest with you. I, there are, in some ways, I'm really tech savvy, and in some ways, I'm not, and that is definitely a category of not, but I want to learn, and I want to find out more, because I do think the kids are more visual than I've ever had before, and they appreciate those visuals so much, um, but I'm going to be honest, when it comes to the the current events, I don't block out, you know, like I have so many teachers who do like Friday's current event day, or they have this blocked in set time, and I just I don't do that. I it, it, It's kind of intentional, I'll be honest. It's more organic um, that the students and I will intentionally initiate. So, for example, I teach that East Asia history class. And someone last week sent me a copy of some North Korean propaganda pamphlets that were recently dropped by balloons into a South Korean neighborhood. I shared them on Twitter last week, and um, I put a link in here in the show notes. They're pretty cool. Um, and they totally led to a discussion on how propaganda is not just some like World War One lesson.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So anyway, Kit comes into class, mentions something they saw on the news about Kim Jong-un, uh, Kim Jong un, I'll say it right. And this is the perfect segue, right? Right into the propaganda. I go over to the computer, pull it up, I'm like, guys, check this out. And we have this twenty minute conversation that is really engaging because they brought it up and I try to really look for those moments. Um, now it's probably at least once or twice a week that the kids are like, hey, 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 and we go down a rabbit hole, but they're engaged and it's not scripted and they don't look at it as work. And more and more kids come back the next year saying they're watching the news. So
3: I'm happy. Right. And those are those, I mean, those are the best days the days that are just kind of unplanned and prompt you, because this is the conversation and it just doesn't end, you know, and 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 you hate bringing it to a close. Okay, guys, we're going to stop this so we can, you know, take out our notes and keep going with, with where we are. Um, Yeah, Back
2: to the reformation. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. But it really helps them see the importance of, you know, how the past connects to today. And, you know, like you said, if you're talking about world war one propaganda, it's like, "Eh, this is not, this is still being used. I mean, you know, that would only be one minor, not minor, but one example out of many, many that we could, you know, talk about as far as how propaganda is used currently. And, yeah, I, don't, I think if a lot of times if those things aren't pointed out to the students, then they don't necessarily see that. And it is just a bunch of stuff that happened a long time ago and doesn't connect to their lives or, you know, our time or anything.
3: Right. And then all you have to do is remind them. You know that there's this whole Russia investigation about the election and all this fake news being spread and that's exactly what it is is propaganda you know it just looks differently in World War two and World War one and mm-hmm. you know it, it but it's the same it's the same stuff
0: yep so many connections so um I'm sure you guys remember and I always say to my introduction every week I teach for an online high school and I have students all over the place, like around the world. So I don't have any synchronous instruction and in my, in our setup is also rolling enrollment. So the students are coming into the classes at any point during the school year. So it's really hard, you know, like when I design my lessons that students are then going through it, you know, at different times, I try to go back to lessons and edit them you know add in more recent sources as i can or as things change especially when we get towards the end of world history like my north korea stuff i probably need to i have a little thing on global issues the very last lesson and one of the topics is nuclear proliferation (laughs) i'm sure my stuff that i have in there now is totally dated um but i try to connect i try to have some connection in every lesson to things that are going on now like for example in my crusades lesson I linked to a story about President Obama's comments at the National Prayer Breakfast in 2015 when there was kind of a controversy because he seemed to make a comparison between ISIS today, like his radical Islamic militants, um, you know, and, you know, Christian crusaders and people's heads exploded and things. Um, And so I kind of use that as part of the hook to the lesson. It's like, okay, well, why were these two things related in president Obama's mind. Um, and so that kind of draws it, you know, makes a connection to it between, you know, something that happened so long ago and, and now. Um, and then I also ask students in every lesson to try to draw what we're talking about to the present day as much as they can. So like when we study the Mongols, for example, I asked them to reflect on whether the Mongols seem more similar to or different from, you know, kind of nation states today. Um, in like how they interacted with other civilizations and things like that, and so you know, a lot of times they'll bring in current events to that, and as far as giving examples, so I think that's you know really fun, and I try to I try to uh, share. I have a flipboard magazine for each of my courses, um, and so I try to put you know articles and you know things out. To share them out there so that students can see that if they want to. I also share them on Twitter. I don't know how much they actually pay attention to the Twitter feed that's on my class, um, like homepage, but I try to, I try to share them out that way, but we don't really, it's, it's really hard in my situation. And it's kind of a bummer. Cause I really like, <laughs> like, I kind of used to do it like Amy, I didn't have like a set current events day, but it was just kind of like, as things came up, you know, let's talk about it.
2: Well, it's so much fun because like that whole Viking thing that came out, Oh yeah! A back. I mean, that was so cool. And you know, we're talking about Vikings, and you know, that comes up in in world history. We're talking about the, the you know, uh, Novgorod and the trade and stuff like that. And you're like, "Oh, dude, there was this article," and then you like run to the computer and pull it up. And like, "What do you guys think?" And they just they just think they're crazy, but it's great,
3: right? That's some of the power that we have. Like just teaching in the 21st century is the ability to go do that. You know, we well, can.
2: I think the best part is, is that kids like former students whenever they run across those articles they send them to you so you always have something you can pull up
3: yeah so should we look at what happens when uh when, when, the, bad when,
2: happens?
3: The, <laughs> when the bad happens when we start going Go sideways, sideways. Yeah, you know, it, <laughs> and for me I, I mean it really comes back to trying to set yourself up for success and trying to have you know, the right environment in the classroom to A, have the discussions in the first place and then scaffolding, you know, as you go through the year, um, maybe not starting out with the most controversial things. And one thing I like to do also is sometimes I like to have the discussion digitally uh, using a tool like Google classroom or some type of, you know, learning management thing that you can, you know, what's nice about classroom is I can ask that question and I can ask, or ask you to think about something and have you share your ideas and thoughts. And I think people are sometimes can be a little bit more respectful when they know that they're writing next to something that is going to, you know, have their name attached to it. Uh, sometimes in a live setting, you know, if things start getting, you know, very passionate, which which we want to redirect, um, you know, people will say things without really thinking them through, and I think just by having to write it down first sometimes eases, eases us into that. And there's a lot of tools out there. Uh, I mean, I love classroom because I can mute students if there's anything inappropriate. It's a digital citizenship conversation that we can have, but, you know, it also just gives you an opportunity to share some thoughts. uh, Think about some other perspectives before you come to class, and then we can start those conversations. And if those conversations do go a bit sideways, I also like to have kind of a focus question. And so last year talking about the election, I, I looked at it from the role of third parties and so if things ever got really political and really crazy, you know, let's bring it back to this idea of the third party and how that third party fits into this conversation. Um, so kind of giving yourself like the emergency exit, almost, you know, what is what is the bigger idea that we're getting at here? And now I'm going to redirect, like, I hear what you're saying, but we're going to move on because, uh, because we're really talking about something different.
0: I like that idea of the exit ramp. It's almost like the runaway truck ramps that they have, like when you're going down big hills mm-hmm. or... know, mountains, it's like, emergency, slide down there, hit the bumper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was thinking, too, when you were talking about tools for ways to uh, um, have students share things like that, I think something like Padlet, now that they have, like, the commenting feature, you know, that might be a really cool one, too, because I think that you can moderate those if you need to, and as, like, if you create the post, I think you can probably... You know, get rid of things that may be
3: right and not, it, it, may not
0: have been well thought out,
3: <laughs> right? It's the owner of the padlet that you can absolutely delete things that you don't want on there. And there's a lot of other tools out there that are really fantastic, you know, today's meet and things like that. But I, I do like, especially when you start the real controversial stuff, having something that is going to have somebody's name on it, so there's nothing anonymous coming in, um, even but if you're I, just talking I, on a doc, you know.
2: Yeah, I, I use Canvas, which is just something for the classroom, but. Um, what I like about Canvas is sometimes those discussions, like, I want them to post theirs before they can see everybody else's <laughs> response right. and then comment to each other. So they don't, they don't know what other people are saying yet, and they don't get to see it until they respond. Um, Scott, I'm with you. I'm all, it's all about the culture. And, I'm, and by culture, I mean, like, not you, the teacher, but, like, you, the group, like, the group culture. Um, that gets created. And that's all those, you know, that's that teach like a pirate. I, you guys know I'm a fan of that. The, the first few days activities and, and really focusing on we can get so much more done and we can do so many more, um, you know, stretch, your, stretch yourself kind of things If we can build the culture right from the start. Um, I work in a notorious, I work in Oklahoma. It's a notoriously red state. Um, and, even within that, I work in a city that's 95% white. Um, there's, it's not, there's not a whole lot of diversity there. I mean, there's some, but not a lot. Um, but we can still have some really great conversations about some of those really emotionally charged items because we've built that culture. Um, you know, We'll talk about things like Black Lives Matter and, and the Confederate monuments, the, you know, the current president, all that stuff. But, and by the way, speaking of the current president, if you haven't figured out that I'm the one who takes charge of the, the Twitter feed for talking social studies, I totally had to make the reference when we were talking about current events <laughs> to do a little a little like Trump language speech there. Um, I doubt anybody really caught on with it, but it's going to be
1: great. It's going to be
2: huge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but really the trick is that you have to model what you want to see and you have to show them and talk your way through respectful discourse. And and also the, the method, you know, you talk about using, some things just work really better in those online kind of little things. Sometimes it's better to do small groups instead of an open forum. I'm really falling in love with something I got from um, and a, a couple other teachers called talk, talk. Have you guys heard about this thing?
3: Mm-mm. No.
2: Okay, so it's an activity, and it's totally old school. because paper and pencil.
3: Which, there's but, nothing wrong with that. I mean, no, old no. school, and that's, Yeah.
2: You could do it digitally. You could totally do it digitally. But I do it old school just because I think the kids getting up and moving around is a good thing.
1: Oh, for sure. Um,
2: But I get those like 11 by 17 pieces of paper. And in the middle of the paper is a question with bias. And there's like six, seven of them around the room. Or it can be for like my AP classes a key concept where it's just like a phrase like, you know, um, the changing role of technology or something like that. And the kids move around the room from page to page. They get mixed up. And they cannot verbally discuss it. It all has to be done on paper. So kid one writes a response. Um, The Princess Bride is the best movie that's ever made, is the prompt. Okay? And then that's the example I always use, because the kid's like, you know, you can go anywhere with that. Um, So then kid A responds with, um, they can agree or disagree, but then they have to back it up. So I agree total cult classic It's you know, it was published, you know 20 something years ago, and it's still a huge part of pop culture today And then kid B can either respond to the prompt or respond to kid a and so it makes like that crazy like spider web looking bubble by the time the class is done As the instructor I can look at this and I can really see okay where do they have a handle on things and where do they not if we're talking key concepts um, but it also kind of like you can like how they think
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, yeah. and like you know what how, how do they traverse that road and then I have kids initials because rarely do I have too many kids that have the same initials so we can work out like a deal there but um, I usually have the kids initial their comment so I can do it for points or I can just do it for not but um, The fact that they had, like, Scott, like you said, the fact that they had to write it down, um, it's a great sub-activity. Yeah. I'm going to be gone for the day. I mean, like, we're not just watching a video. We're continuing this conversation in a lot more depth, even though I'm not there.
3: Right. I mean, it gives you something that's so powerful to have discussions about, right? Let's pass the posters back around, and then small groups, let's each kind of talk about, you know, what we notice about how everyone's Mm -hmm. thinking. Um, Well, that's
2: cool. Especially, they have to wind back up at the group they started with, right? So they can see how others respond to their stuff. But um, and it, I mean, I I love it because it's something that doesn't take. It's not a whole lot of press. It's not a whole lot of you know. When you talk about those like emergency. Hey, we got to switch things up because something came. You know, something happened. Um, it's the kid, or you got pulled for a meeting, or whatever. Um, it's still really valuable to you. They can still have those conversations. You don't really have to worry about. You know the sub having to control the room because the kids know the, they know how to do it they just go
0: yeah yeah and since they know that their, their names are going to be tied to it hopefully nobody's going to get too too nutty and they I mean that's the whole nature with writing you have to think before you commit your words to paper whereas when you're talking it's that's not always the case
3: <laughs> right. And it's, and it's a great way then to gather your thoughts before you have that discussion as a class or a discussion as a small group. Um, it allows you to, you know, just process it and then to see others and to see those responses and see what people are thinking. It helps you establish your thoughts. And again, I think helps you, you know, not only build some perspective on, on whatever the topic is, but maybe also some empathy for the other, you know, other points of view.
0: Yeah. And just, taking this away from, you know, current events specifically for a moment. I mean, that, what a great pre-writing activity. Like if you were going to have kids write, you know, an essay or something to have them do something like this first and see like a range of perspectives and things, you know, because we, one of the things, you know, you want kids to kind of think about the counter argument as well as, you know, what, you know, what other views are there, but why is your person, why is your point, why is your argument the correct one? you know, that really would force them to kind of grapple with that and think about it. Um, so anyway, sorry, segue. <laughs> <laughs> we
2: need Ryan here to like, parallel.
0: Right. Pull us <laughs> back in here. So, all right. Um, well, I guess I'll try to wrap up the thread here. Um, z- I have students, um, the interaction in my uh, class being with it online and asynchronous and everything is the students do their work on Google documents and they leave questions and feedback to each other. They're required to do that on each lesson. Um, and my English colleague, my English teacher colleague and I both have um, courses that are set up in this collaborative manner. And so we both use the same kind of like um contract or agreement with the students that um, she has them read a short article like the human behind the computer or something. And then we have like a short like quiz in canvas where they're basically like, yes, I agree to be respectful and to interact with people you know, remember that there is a person on the other side of what I'm writing. Um, And then I try, I remind them on every assignment, you know, you need to interact with each other respectfully. You can disagree, but you need to do so agreeably. Um, And I try to model that myself and, you know, ask clarifying questions and that kind of thing. And usually they're really, really good about it. Uh, Earlier this year, I did have two students that kind of got into it via comments and were starting to attack each other as opposed to their arguments. Um, And I tried to step in in their comments and redirect and was not able to pull them back out of it. So, and again, this is happening asynchronously. So I'm like trying to hop into the document every once while. while like, Oh God, what's happening now. Um, and I ended up having to message both of them and just say, you know, this is not productive at all. You are attacking each other personally as opposed to your ideas. What are you going to do about this? And they both handled it really well. They both totally agreed that they had gone off the rails. Um, The one kid who had originally started the comment thread, you know, uh, resolved it and got it off like the public uh, nature of the page. And they both wrote about it in their reflections, which I thought was really cool for that lesson. And I think they even refer to it in some future lessons, too. And just, you know, I need to be much more mindful of that. And so, I mean, it was really, I think, a good learning experience for both of them. Um, You know, kind of one of those teachable moments. Um, So, but you know, luckily, you know, with my environment, the way it is set up, you know, we don't have a lot of, you know, opportunity for, you know, really going at something in a, you know, kind of uh, sideways going way.
3: Yeah, it's going to be really tough without, you know, having the students come in person at some point, right? Yeah. Because it it also digitally it makes it much easier to say things to people that you might not say. Mm-hmm. Um especially if you don't know them, right? When you yeah. see people and you know that you're going to see this kid in your classroom on a regular basis and like you have some type of relationship, um it's much harder, I think, to to do that especially in writing. Um, yeah. But at the same time, if you don't know and these people to you are just, you know, virtual, it, I guess, probably makes it a lot easier. Yeah.
0: It's another one of those kind of setting the stage. It's just a different kind of stage that you're setting. you know. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. It sounds like you handle it. Awesome. I mean, right. You know, private message to both of them and really calling them out on the behavior. Because at some point, like if we don't teach the skills to these kids, we wonder why. The world of social media can go as crazy as it does sometimes.
0: Yeah, I actually, I mean, I read this after that incident had happened. I read Diana Hess's controversy in the classroom in the last few months. And that was really, you know, that really just kind of brought it all home to me a little bit more about how, you know, (laughs) we, this is kind of an important role that we have right now. We have to help students learn how to have civil Dialogue with each other and actually converse, and not just talk at each other and argue. You know, life does not have to be like you know it is on news programs quote news <laughs> programs where you have two people on the opposite sides or extreme ends of things, just like talking past each other. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: think to listen how
0: how
2: because our classrooms. We, you know, Chris and I, we teach pretty much the same thing, but we teach it so differently. Yep. I'm just curious what's going on.
3: <laughs> right. I mean, that's what's kind of interesting about this whole thing is we're all in such, you know, interesting roles and in, in, in learning environments, right? Because when I try and bring this, I try to bring this into a bigger lesson that I'm coming into work with a group of kids on. Um, but really making, you know, those connections and, and for me not having a class anymore to do that, it makes it challenging too, which I think is probably part of the reason why I like using some of those digital tools is it gives me an entrance in, but you know, I mean, Chris, you never see them in person and, and, and Amy, you're in a very, you know, heterogeneous population. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I do find that I, I'll be honest with you, it's like my personal crusade is that, you know, the world is not going to be like this. and. Mm-hmm. You need to understand that even though you grew up here and your parents grew up here, and maybe your grandparents too, that we're a lot more transient society now. And you need to know that you're going to bump into people who are different than you. And you don't want to be that unintentional butthead in the room who just didn't know better.
1: <laughs>
3: right.
2: It's one, it's one thing when you intentionally are, you know, right. behind, but it's a whole other thing when it's completely unintentional.
3: Right. And we all have you know those experiences that you know consciously or unconsciously you know affect our biases that we have in um, our opinions and our perspectives and and you know really shape the way that we think but,
2: we did it again this is the third time <laughs>
3: <laughs> well this this segment's all about current events, so I guess we should probably talk about um-. We'll show you so. today. So I just, you know, I, I linked an article. I was listening. I started listening to the daily uh, podcast by the New York times and it's, it's really changed. Uh. Um, but I don't know, a few weeks ago they had an episode and and they started talking about what's going on in, in Myanmar. And I really hadn't heard very much about it. Uh, they'd interviewed a woman who basically was, you know, rounded up. All the men were, were executed. Uh, her baby was taken from her arms and, and thrown into a fire. She was raped and basically forced to flee um, via the, 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 military in Myanmar. And I just think it's so fascinating that, you know, their, their leader, Aung Aung Suchai is, is a former Nobel priest prize winner. And it, there's just so many really, I hate to use the word fascinating, but fascinating issues that are going on in Myanmar uh, but, you know, we talk again about these crises in the past and we talk about, you know, these atrocities that that, you know, first from a student's perspective, like it's not something that I can affect or change anymore. But all of a sudden you look at what's going on in the world today. I mean, let's look at and we can find all sorts of things, you know, everywhere that you go in every corner of the earth. But. Holy cow, I mean, what, what's actually happened in there, you know, over the past few weeks has just been horrendous.
0: Yeah, I, I, I heard that same episode, and it was horrific. And you could just hear the – I mean, in the, that's one of the things I love about The Daily Podcast, because you get to hear interviews with the actual journalist and find out more about, like, the reporting pr- aspect. But you could just hear in his voice, he was just like
3: – right, He didn't want to ask about it, but, he you know, he felt this, this need to share that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah I just I just came across another article this afternoon and, and I think it must have been the same um, reporter in there because you know, it was just about the same stuff but it's unbelievable where you know what what people will do to each other and um, you know it's it's an ongoing crisis that's going to affect you know what America's role in the world is and is there you know a duty that we have to help out these refugees and what do you do with the people I mean on a sheer you know, volume. You got you know, almost a million people that are fleeing for the border of Bangladesh, who you know, are isn't set up to handle uh, no. you know, lots of people, and it's just amazing, you know. But it's a, again, it's one of those opportunities that we have to, you know, kind of bring uh, you know some of the the current perspective in.
0: Yeah, I used to use um, the uh, PBS frontline, The Triumph of Evil, which was about the Rwandan genocide. And, ha- and one of the, the big way that they framed it was President Clinton dedicating the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. And all these dignitaries are there, never again will we let anything like this happen. And yet, not a whole lot was done by the international community with the events that were going on in Rwanda. And now it's like, okay, we have the same thing or something that seems quite similar Mm -hmm. happening. Although you have like a government much more directly involved and you know, it's, it's so maddening, you know, it's like the difference between the, the, um, the words versus actions and, I mean, I, I just think that, you know, it's it, it's hard and it's messy and it's complicated. And but I mean, I think that's something that students kind of need to wrestle with, because, you know, then you have to decide as a, you know, as a voter, as a citizen, what do you think the role of the United States and other countries is in something like that? Yeah.
2: Well, I um, it's kind of interesting you, you brought up the Myanmar thing and just students having to wrestle with that. I um, I'm going to respond to Chris's thing here in a minute but I did want to bring up we are having um, two two or three, I think two or three. Um, Hiroshima Nagasaki atomic bomb survivors coming in to talk with my kids here in about two weeks Wow so, yeah and they're apparently they're they're coming to our school and then they're getting on the plane and they're going to accept their Nobel Peace prize
1: Wow um, but,
2: I wasn't a part of how they got there, but I am so just – I so harped on my kids about, guys, this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Like, your children, your younger siblings will never get this. And, right. But I've, you know, I, what I find is I'm spending a lot of time in class already prepping them about cultural understandings and even just generational understandings of respect. That you don't mean disrespect, having the earbuds in and the hat on, those gotta go. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And how you sit in your chair, and I mean, just I feel like I'm teaching a kid. You gotta take your head off the table and keep your elbows up. I'm like, we are talking just manners. That because I'm like, these people are gonna be in their 90s, right? And that generation's understanding of respect. It's not about you. Don't get to decide, honey. They're your guests. You're gonna meet their what they expect. and I just, I'll be honest with you. I have 2000 kids coming into a gym to listen to these people speak. And I'm like in a near panic <laughs> that some kid, you know, is going to unintentionally or intentionally just completely upset these people.
3: Mm. Um, what, a, but, what an amazing, huh? no pressure, Amy. Are you guys, well, gonna, are you guys going to report it or anything?
2: They are going to record – they're live streaming it for other – because we've got 4,000 kids at our campus. So they're going to live stream it and record it too. But I don't know if we have permission to get it out. I'm going to find out. Um, I'm hoping we do because, I mean, so many – I mean, I show the, the HBO documentary White Light, Black Brain um, in my East Asia class because I want the kids to – like, you know, in, in U.S. history, they always get the, you know, the DBQ kind of concept of should we have dropped the bomb or should we not. Mm-hmm. But it's all the – it's, you know, it's really an American perspective where
1: mm-hmm.
2: I feel like the East Asia class, because we need to give the other perspective. Um, right. And,
3: uh, but yeah, I'm so excited. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I mean, it's such a unique perspective because right. I mean, we've had the Holocaust survivors. I've had an opportunity and I've had an opportunity with World War II veterans. And, but, you know, a survivor of, of the blast itself is pretty amazing, which leads me to this American life I was listening to. And they were talking about, um, some, uh, U S, uh, former military, uh, army soldier who was just part of the people. He, he was convinced that they were just there to go watch, watch the blasts in Nevada and they'd like march them out. And it was just an amazing story. It was I don't know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, and, and he was it was called suitable for children, I think I can drop in the show notes, but it's a really fantastic story listening to uh, someone who, as a kid, was just sent out to witness the blast, but not i mean can't imagine what what their perspective is having to actually live through it yeah, yeah.
2: wow well, and I'm kind of wrestling with like you know I talk about you know uh, Gosh, I just lost her name. It's the paper crane story. The little girl. Uh, yep.
1: really yeah. Teeny.
2: I can't think of her name. It starts mess. Um, but anyway, um, I usually kind of combine talking about that. And we always do some sort of kinesthetic activity, which with the History of Japan portion is origami. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, we usually do that activity. It would land about a week before um, these speakers came in, and they are going to come into the room. And I'm like, I don't – I asked my contact. I'm like, explain that we do this and ask them if they'd rather I wait until after they've come through. Or would it please them to see, you know, the crane sitting around my room and stuff like that? I don't. It's that whole, like, you just, you have to ask.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I hope it all goes well. Uh,
1: Well, (laughs) I'll be right. Keep us posted.
0: Oh, totally. Well, um, earlier today, I saw the New York Times tweet out a story that I guess came out yesterday um, about Boko Haram in Nigeria as, uh, using teen girls as suicide bombers or trying to. Um, and the story itself is set up really, it, it's, you know, it, it starts out with just like this black background and visuals of these girls that, you know, in their um you know, in their hijab, but their faces are all covered in different ways. Um, one's by a flower. One is, you know, like sometimes they're just in profile or something and you cannot see their faces. And there's a quote below each image. And as you scroll down, it fades to black and then the next image kind of emerges. And it's really kind of just it pulls you in. It kind of reminds me of when you go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. and you come up out of the elevator and it's just like this black wall in front of you. Um and so then the actual story is talking about how, I, and I think it may have been some of the girls who had been, you know, girls had been kidnapped and were basically told you can either marry, um, you know, a Boko Haram member or you can become a suicide bomber. You know, what a choice. Right. So, um, you know, several of these girls were basically, you know, taught how you know this is what you push to set it off you need to go to this kind of target you need to you know and if that doesn't work you need to find like soldiers or something and then go you know murder yourself and what i found extremely fascinating about it was so many of the girls resisted like they went out they got the suicide belts put on them under their garments and then they would go And they would go out like they were going to the places, but then they would intentionally go away from them and try to find people that would help them. They would say, you know, I have this bomb. And, you know, a lot of times people would run away from them and say, don't come any closer or we'll kill you, that kind of thing. But then they they would find, you know, there were many, you know, several of them were helped. And, you know, like they would find security forces or something and they would remove the bombs from them and. I just thought that was so fascinating because that's one of the things, like you know, when we study the Holocaust and other, you know, situations like this, that there's this. I think students have this perception that everybody kind of goes along willingly and to their fate and that kind of thing. But there, individuals oh, and groups, yeah. yeah, did resist. And you know, here we have something that's happening like right now, and these girls are, you know, you know, standing up and, and in this horrible situation, but are you know, going against what they've been told, you know, at great personal risk. So, and it's like, these are teenage girls. I mean, this is something that, you know, I, I think that students could, you know, to some extent, possibly at least imagine, you know, somebody their own age having to make these kinds of decisions and just how incredibly difficult that would be.
3: I can't imagine the, I mean, having gone to Tanzania, which is a politically stable country in East Africa, and the hardships that, you know, these kids have just in life, getting water and, you know, shelter and earning any money. Now you throw into the equation the fact that you've got these militant groups out there who, you know, they're not even safe in their homes. It's unbelievable to me that that these events still happen today. I mean, it, you know, we, we think that we've come so far, but for, I mean, we're talking to large populations of people and it's just, it's incredibly horrific.
2: Uh, well, Chris, you talk about these, these you know, these stories of resistance and um, we were talking before we started recording the show, um, but I want to add it into the show. The new, kind of marvel character is written by um oh she's from nigeria she's a um she's a professor um in nigeria but anyway she created the new marvel character and the new marvel character's name is Ozi. and there's a cultural importance to the name and i i've lost it but um the name has cultural value too So, Ingozi is the successor. She becomes the successor to Black Panther in this storyline. Um, and she's based on one of the the Cheap-Up Haram girls. She's a teenage girl. She's, um, paraplegic. Former, really athletic girl is her storyline. Um, anyway, she gets the symbiote from Black Panther and becomes a total, like, the new interpretation of Wonder Woman type character. And she my students like totally fell in love with her i used her um to do a comparison contrast essay because i was trying to get them to understand like how the nuances of that and how much more fun to do that than to use superheroes so they compared um superman versus batman and then they went into their assignment their essay they had to write was wonder woman versus ingozi um and they The character is just amazing for so many different levels. I mean, she's, she's this really strong young female who's a former victim and just really is out to make the world a better place. Um, and I put a link in the notes with her name here. You need to check out the, um, the Twitter feed from the, her creator.
0: That's pretty amazing. And I, just a quick search does it Ingo, Ingozi mean danger? Was that the significance of the name?
2: Well, it's not the exact translation, but uh, okay. cultural. It, it has to do, I, I, you know. It'd be kind of like, um, you know, in in the you know, the, the Western European type thing. You know, naming somebody Paul.
1: Mm.
2: You know that there there's a cultural connection to the name, and I. Okay. I, I remember reading it when I first found it, and that was months ago, and now I can't find it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was just like you know random passing find, but. <laughs> I mean, you'll see people reference, oh, there's a, you know, there's a Marvel superhero, you know, superhero based from um, Nigeria, and then they're like, oh, did you catch what her name is? Her name is Ngozi and you're like, oh, and you're like, okay, there's a reason for this. People, are right, right, that means <laughs> something.
0: yeah, and and you know, and and what a great way to draw kids into a story with, you know, graphic novels and comics. I mean, that could oh, my be a kids whole
2: totally went off the wire. I mean, they were supposed to, they they had like, you know, the rest of the last period or whatever to write the essay and most of them have their Chromebooks out and they're looking up the,
1: <laughs> the storyline, the, the graphic novel. Yeah. I'm like,
2: you know what? I, I, Yeah, okay, you can do the essay later <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, so the last segment is what are we talking about next time? And you guys have some really awesome stuff in the works that I'm so jealous of but I hope you have fun
3: yeah, so uh, I guess we can start with that. If any of you listening out here are going to be at the National Council for Social Studies in San Francisco uh, in November, come check out uh, Ryan, Chris, and I. We'll be out there uh, with, an ep- uh, with an episode. with a. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're gonna do an episode, but- we are going to do a special episode, uh, but we're going to do a session on using audio in the classroom. Uh, But part of what we also will be doing out there is is working on a special episode. So make sure, if you're out there, you come find us.
2: You get your little self a little cameo. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You too can be on Talking Social (laughs) 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 Studies.
2: Well, I hope you guys have an awesome time. And um, I really hope that, you know, in the future, my state gets their their funding together so that educators can go and do those great things.
1: Us too, Amy. Yeah.
2: Well, Indeed. I'll tell you what. You know what? In the future, I'm going to do a little better planning with my uh, my graduate study stuff so I can back away a little bit and make sure I can make it regardless. Cool. All right. Well, um, in the future, future, like down the line, we are due for another uh, kind of guest host. We're guys, we're kind of working on maybe some gamification. I don't know. We've got a few feelers out. We're going to see who we can, uh, I don't know, bribe <laughs> to come hang out with us for a <laughs> night. <laughs> Um.
1: But
3: yeah. All right. Well, is that a wrap? I think, I think so. so. All right. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> if you're still there, and uh, <laughs> we look forward to, it this far. To, to catching you next time. <laughs> Take care, everybody. <laughs>